for tuning in to the Believer's Church of Johnson City podcast. We are grateful you've stopped by. Regardless of where you are in your faith journey, we hope today's teaching is both challenging and also encourages you to move closer to Jesus. You can subscribe to the podcast if you want weekly messages, leave a review about your experience, and if you wish to become a giving partner, you can do so by giving online at believerschurch.tv. And of course, we want to encourage you to come see us in person. We're located at 6110 Kingsport Highway in Johnson City, Tennessee. As always, we hope you enjoy today's message. Should have said that through the microphone, I guess. Good morning again. It didn't help that much either. Good morning. Everybody here? Okay, good. I I, want to say something first that I was just thinking about whenever I was standing there worshiping. I want you guys to go ahead and anticipate a mighty move of God in this place today uh, that doesn't necessarily have to look like something that, w- that is outwardly expressed. In fact, often it doesn't look like something that is outwardly expressed. But there are people in here, and I believe more than one, that really needs to hear what we're going to be talking about today and also people that are listening online uh, that really need to hear what we're going to be talking about today as well as the next four weeks. Uh, Belief belief may seem easy for many people that are in this room right now, probably less people that are listening online, but for some of you that grew up in church, you've been in church for a long time, belief may be something that you feel comes relatively easy. But uh, the truth is it's becoming more and more difficult for people overall. Some of you that have never struggled with doubt or really had what we might call an existential crisis of faith may not know exactly what I'm talking about. So what this is going to require for some of you as we go through this series, it's going to require you to think outside of the box or think outside of what might make you feel the most comfort. All right, that's something that I'm going to challenge you guys to do. A 2016 study by Pew Research Center revealed some of the main reasons that an ever-growing number of nuns or people with no religious affiliation, that's what we're talking about as nuns, are growing more and more doubtful. And there are a number of reasons that these individuals are growing more and more doubtful. I'll give you a few. All right, lack of support from the scientific community would be one reason that people are becoming more doubtful. Too many religious people doing non-religious things. All right, I'm going to say that one again. Too many religious people doing non-religious things. So people are deeply turned off by the hypocrisy that we often see. Clergy sex scandals. Uh, Suffering a serious, what we just talked about, crisis of faith. The church's teaching on homosexuality. A dislike for organized religion. And the list goes on and on. All right, these are some of the primary reasons that the next generation, what we often refer to as Generation Z, are rejecting religious belief. One could make the argument that today, in 2020, it's easier to doubt than it is to actually uh, believe. So today we're we're starting, we're beginning a four-week series titled, When in Doubt. 
All right, what I want to encourage a lot of you to do, especially since our podcast is not exactly where we want it to be yet, I want to encourage you, uh, some of your friends that do have questions, encourage them to go back and listen to this message. The premise of this series, what we're going to be talking about and, and where I'm coming from, doubt is dangerous, and that's probably what you've been taught most of your life, but it can also be rewarding, It's difficult to understand and live through faith if we've never wrestled with the big questions. So what I'm saying is that there are some people in this room, and you're convinced that you have a very grounded faith, all right, because of what you grew up in. But the truth is that what you have in a really strong sense is an inherited faith, all right? So you believe the way that mom and dad did or you believe the way that your grandparents did, or you believe the way that you were taught in church. So you're not necessarily rooted and grounded in this really strong lifestyle of following Jesus and turning everything over. You simply have a comfortable belief system, and until you really go through a season a very serious doubt in which you're asking a lot of questions, you never really have a rooted, deep, grounded faith. So my my purpose in this series is not to line up every single doubt that you have with apologetics and reveal Christianity to be true. All right, instead, my purpose is to show that doubt can be healthy and even beneficial. It can even be beneficial for a follower of Jesus. But at the end of the day, your questions, your struggles, your longings, your dismissal of God is always going to create within you a longing for something more. And the reason that it's always going to create a longing for something more is because that's the way that you are wired. You are wired, your DNA is for a relationship with God. And the longing that a lot of people in this world feel outside of this relationship with God, that space within inside of them, that space within their soul, that place within their heart is never fulfilled until they make the decision to completely surrender to what and who God is. So despite this reality, all right, Gen Z or anyone that is born after 1996 or after. So this is a lot of our kids or our grandkids, and it's also quite a few of the people that are in this room right now. Generation Z is notably non-religious. All right, so this is different than what a lot of us, this is a huge shift from the generations that a lot of us have actually been through. If you're like me and your Generation Z, I'm sorry, Generation X, or if you're a little bit older and you're a baby boomer, this is a little bit different than what we experienced growing up. In fact, this is you need to hear this because this is a lot of your kids. 42% of those who are 24 and under identify themselves as non-religious. 42%, almost half of the people 24 and under identify themselves as non-religious for some of those reasons that we mentioned when we first started. So imagine the struggles that you have. Imagine the struggles that you've been through in your life if you're in your 50s. Imagine the struggles that you've felt if you're in your 30s. Now introduce into that an entirely new generation, the generation coming up, that has a completely different system or way of experiencing these doubts. 
All right, so it's going to be the goal of this series as we introduce it today to crack open some of the reasons for these doubts and some of the solutions uh, for doubt. In the next three weeks, we're going to look at three different kinds of doubt that I believe we all go through. And I believe that whenever we experience these three kinds of doubt uh, at, at different times in our lives, it really covers just about any kind of doubt that you could experience. Okay, this is circumstantial doubt, and this means that the circumstances in your life have completely changed. Uh, your husband doesn't love you anymore. Uh, you just found out that you, you've been diagnosed with this illness. Someone in the church hurt your feelings. Whatever that might look like, okay, that's what we would call circumstantial doubt. When we talk about emotional doubt, we're talking about specific things that you are going through as an individual. You feel a lot of anxiety. You feel a lot of fear. You feel that loneliness. You feel that whenever you are praying, God simply isn't present. That's what we're talking about with emotional doubt. And then when we talk about evidence from the scientific community and other places, we're often talking about using logic and reason, which I, as an academic as well, are very, very important things. All right, but that's where we run into some of the intellectual doubt. But before doing this, I want us to focus, before we do any of this today, I want us to focus on one man, all right, and one story. This man's name is Gideon, and this is the story of the fleece and the dew. I probably relate to Gideon more than any other biblical character there is. And this is not the first time and this is not the second time that I've preached a message in which I've spoken about Gideon. The reason that I have so much in common with Gideon is that Gideon was a cynic. All right, Gideon had tremendous insecurities about who he was. Gideon was also ask, always asking the question, why me? You know, with, with the tribe that I come from, being the youngest person in my group, why me? God, why in the world would you ever choose someone like me? And I can't tell you the amount of times that I've asked God the exact same question. Why in the world would you choose someone like me? So Gideon was asked by God to lead Israel against the Midianites in battle. Despite this great honor, Gideon is riddled with insecurity about his background, and he's also doubting the willingness and the trustworthiness of God. So we'll see this doubt at work in the scripture that we're going to look at today. We're going to be in Judges chapter 6. If you want to turn there, if you do have a Bible, Judges chapter 6. If you want to look up here on the screen, you can look up on the screen. Judges 6, and we're going to go to the end of that chapter, which are verses 36 through 40. All right, so Judges chapter 6, verses 36 through 40. And this is what the Scripture says. But then Gideon said to God, this is after he's been called. All right, God has given him this wonderful responsibility. God has said, Gideon, you're supposed to go do this. You have value. You are made in the image of God, the Imago Dei. You are important. I'm giving you this responsibility. Now, Gideon has said, but God, I am this. But God, I am that. What he does is what a lot of us do, and he considers every single obstacle as to why he may not be uh, called into this role. But Gideon said to God, to see if you really intend to rescue Israel through me, as you have declared, what he is saying is he's going to put God to the test. All right, don't ever do that. All right, but that's what he's doing. All right, he's saying, to see if you're really going to take care of me, that you're really going to do this, I'm now putting a wool fleece on the threshing floor. If there is dew only on the fleece, but all of the ground is dry, 
then I will know that you are going to rescue Israel through me as you have declared. All right, so he's playing let's make a deal with God. All right, if I throw it down and it happens the way that it's supposed to happen, I'll know that you're at work. And guess what? This is what happened. When he got up early the next morning and squeezed the fleece, he wrung out enough dew from the fleece to fill a whole bowl of water. Then Gideon said to God, don't be angry with me. That wasn't even enough, right? He says, don't be angry with me, but let me speak just one more time. Please let me make, he wants God to do the opposite. Like this is just toying with God. Please let me make just one more test with the fleece. Now let only the fleece be dry and let there be dew on all the ground. And God did so that night. Only the fleece was dry, but there was dew on the ground. So Gideon doubts, but God comes through. This is a theme all over Scripture. If you are a person of faith, this is also a theme that you've seen exercised in your life. And God still uses Gideon despite his doubt. So notice that God didn't punish Gideon for doubting. He used the doubt to propel him forward. All right, so God is not punishing you for your doubt. A lot of what you've been taught in a lot of churches is that if you doubt, if you have questions, you are a weaker person. You don't necessarily belong in the church. A lot of times you are scolded or ridiculed because you have simple questions that, guess what? God actually encourages. Because what this is doing is it's bringing you into a deeper relationship with him. So God did not punish Gideon for the doubt. He actually used the doubt in his life to propel him forward. And if we were to go on and look at Judges, you would see that acted out. Paul Tillich, the existential French philosopher, once said this. I'm sorry, he was American. Uh, Doubt is not the opposite of faith. It is an element of faith. All right, so doubt is not something that is completely destroying your faith or something that exists on the other side of faith. It is actually an element of faith that can work in your life. We must learn that wrestling with doubt is not a death sentence, but often a deeper pathway to experiencing God. Sometimes we have to go through really weird seasons of doubt in which we're asking questions about God, in which we're needing to understand things, to be completely detached from the system that we grew up in so that we can own a personal faith for ourselves. What I'm suggesting is that many of you are possibly a byproduct of mom and dad or grandma and grandpa, but have not necessarily ever really owned faith yourself. And often until we go through this serious crisis of faith, we never experience a deep, genuine faith ourselves. So what I want to do this morning is I want to propose a theory. All right now, I don't know if this theory has ever been suggested before. Maybe it has, maybe it's not. Maybe it's something that God was really just speaking to me about the other day. But what if, and as I ask this question, and I want you to think about this, I want you to dig deep into yourself and where you may be right now. 
And any kind of struggles with doubt that you may have, God is not going to provide for us financially. God is not going to continue to let me keep my job. God, is, God does not want me to get married. Uh, maybe, maybe God is not real. Maybe it's a struggle doubting your salvation. It could be a number of different issues that are going on, but this is key right here. If we are going to dig deep into the human spirit and deep into the human psyche, I want you to consider this. What if Gideon didn't have tremendous doubt in God? What if it was primarily self-doubt? What if Gideon... Now, a lot of people have tremendous doubt in God, the existence of God, the idea that God can take care of them, etc., etc. But for a lot of people, it's not actually doubt that God can take care of them. On a deeper level, it's their own insecurities. It's their own fears. It's their own struggles. It's their own belief that they are not good enough, that they are not going to measure up, that they are not going to be able to do what God actually wants them to do. This is why I'm saying this. Earlier in Judges, in Judges 6, after God has called Gideon, this is what he says. Gideon said to him, with all due respect, my Lord, how can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the youngest in my household. All right, what he has just done is he, he has given God two reasons why he can't be used. So that's not necessarily doubt in God. He is looking at himself the same way that you're saying, God, I've, I've used drugs for years. God, I've been divorced three times. God, my, my kids are completely out of control. Not God, I'm too young, but maybe God, I'm too old. God, I don't have enough money. I don't have enough clout in the community. This is what a lot of people say. I don't know the Bible well enough. I've not been a Christian for long enough. So sometimes this is not actually doubt that we have in God. It's based on our circumstances, doubt that we have in ourselves. I believe that sometimes our doubt comes from hurt. Sometimes that hurt is within the church. I believe that sometimes our doubt comes from a broken religious system that we've experienced. A lot of these people, did you know that a lot of this generation, the reason that, we're, that this Generation Z that we're talking about, a lot of the reason that 42% are claiming to be non-religious is because someone that was my age, a Generation Z, per, a Generation X person, had a bad experience in the church, stopped going to church so their kids had no religious... You see how this works over time? You see how this doubt actually starts to come about? Some people have doubt as a result of living in a cruel world. Why would a good God allow this? Why would a God, good God allow that? But often it has little to do with the actual character of God. Now listen at this right here. It wasn't that Gideon refused to believe in God. Instead, he continued to make God small. And that will keep believers' church from growing the way that we need to grow. That will keep believers' church in the same spot for a long period of time. Not because we don't believe in God in some kind of generic way, but that we continue to make God small over and over, saying, what if He is God, but can't necessarily love me, or can't necessarily take care of me, or can't necessarily perform the same kind of miracles that he did in the first century. Or in this case, the Old Testament. 
He can't do those things. What if it's because we continue to make God small? Doubt is usually the result of not having a biblical understanding of the character of God. All right, so what we are doing is we are taking a cultural definition of God and we are basing our view of God on that. Instead of God looking at God and everything that God has done consistently over and over again. If we were in a theology class right now, one thing that we would be required to do is go through this gigantic list of the characteristics of God, talking about all the wonder and the awe and the beauty that God brings to the human soul. But you see, we've minimized all of that. We've made God small because the circumstances in our lives seem and feel so large. But you see, as God always does and did in the case of Gideon, he left enough space for a breakthrough. And he will always do the same for you. I have no doubt that there are people in this church right now, that there are people that we even have a tremendous amount of respect for, highly respected leaders, maybe people that are on this stage, people that are struggling with some form of doubt in their life right now about God. Could be that you're doubting your salvation. Could be when you think about COVID-19 or when you think about the racial issues, maybe the tearing down of statues. And I, and I don't care what political side you fall on. All right, but you have all this doubt. Does God really have control over all of this mess that's going on? Does God really have control of all of these things? If God knows the number of hairs on your head, your head, not mine, he knows what's going on in this world right now. And everything is taken care of. I went through a period of almost 10 years of serious, serious doubt. And the only person that's in this room right now that knows anything about that other than me, as far as knowing me at that time, is, is Josh Clotier. I didn't pray. The only time I prayed for almost two, 10 years was when I had done so much cocaine that I was afraid I was not going to be able to go to sleep or I was not going to wake up the next morning. That was the only time I ever prayed for almost 10 years, and I believed it to be completely impossible to ever have a relationship with God again. In that moment, whenever it's right, you have your breakthrough, and then the doubt starts to make sense. Don't be afraid of doubt. But here is something that I learned over time. You see, Gideon needed a sign, and, it, and it's kind of pathetic. He needs two signs, all right? If, if I see what he saw the first night, I'd be fine, all right? But Gideon needs two signs. Please understand this. He was fortunate enough to get a sign, but a lot of times, we don't get a sign. I would love to tell you that I've prayed prayers and that I've said, God, if I'm supposed to do this, you're going to reveal this in a dream. And then I had that dream that night. I would love to tell you that I've prayed prayers and said, God, if I'm supposed to make this decision, if I'm supposed to take this job, if I'm supposed to move to this place the next day, you're just going to bring a person right to my face to reveal that. It's never happened that way. So this is what I want to teach you and tell you this morning. 
sometimes you will get a sign. And there are some people in here that can tell you that they have received a sign from God before. But do not spend your life waiting for a visible sign. Instead, focus on a promise. This was the decision that I made. So don't focus on a sign. Focus on a promise. All right, you know, and, and, and some of you have received signs. But let's just be honest. Some of you have heard people say before, well, I was walking down the road and I told God that if, that if I was supposed to marry this woman, he was going to show me this bright light. And then all of a sudden, a bright light. And sometimes, just be, let's be honest, sometimes you're thinking to yourself, that person's crazy. Have you thought it before? Sometimes we do actually get a visible sign. But what if we just spend our lives, as Gideon would do after this, focusing on the promises of God? Listen to Gideon's language. Listen to how childish this is. Verses 36 and 37. To see if you really intend to rescue Israel, I'm going to blank. Then I'll know you're going to rescue Israel because of blank. Okay, God obliges and, and, and shows the signs, but often you are not going to see a sign. I prefer what God says earlier in the chapter in verse 14, which we didn't look at. He said, then the Lord turned to him and said, this is to Gideon, you have strength. The name Gideon means mighty warrior. So go and rescue from the power of Midian. This is the key word right here, the key phrase. Am I not personally sending you? Am I not personally sending you? Another translation of this says, and I love this, you have no idea how much of a testament of this was to me whenever I first went into ministry. I actually wrote this on my hand today for the first time in a long time, and it said, I will go before you. That's what a lot of translations say. Those five words became a testament to my life every single time I struggled with doubt, every single time I've struggled with fear, Every single time I've struggled with insecurity, there were times that I stood up to preach in front of a lot of people, knowing that we had three Sunday morning services. I felt like I was going to throw up. I felt like I couldn't get up there. Maybe the night before, I had an argument with Beth, and it's so hard to preach. And that's not why she's not here this morning, just so you know. But, um, but it's so hard sometimes to get up, and it's so hard, and you think, why me? And I just had to tell myself all the time that as I take steps in the direction that God is leading me, He is going before me. So whatever is going on in your life right now, whatever that struggle looks like, the difficulty that you may be going through, through a separation, the financial difficulties that you are having, the struggles with addiction that you may be right in, the anxiety, the depression, the struggle parenting, whatever it might look like, you need to understand he will go before you. Maybe you need to write this on your hand. Maybe this needs to be in your car. Maybe it needs to be on your makeup table. Maybe it needs to be on your closet whenever you're getting your clothes out. Maybe it needs to be in your kitchen. Maybe you need to put this somewhere, and this needs to be a theme in your life that you understand because what it's going to do eventually is it's going to push Gideon forward, and it's going to push you forward as well. You see, God can be and often is a God of signs, but he is always, every single time, a God of promises. Every single time. So maybe when the doubt is really heavy, maybe when you're struggling, 
you need this statement, I will go before you in a place in which you can see it um, on a regular basis. So ultimately, in relation to all forms of doubt, we must come to a constant place where the promises of God will sustain us. Now, you can't trust in the promises of God if you don't know what they are. If you're not educating yourself here, if you're not going here, if you're not studying up on this, you have no way of knowing what the promises of God are. But they are the only thing I am telling you as a person that on more occasions than I care to admit have been curled up in a ball, ready to give up on ministry, ready to quit a lot of things that I'm doing in my life, that the promises of God have been the only thing that have sustained me and continue to sustain me every single day. So, application. A few things to consider for the purpose of building this into our lives. The first thing that we have to do is we have to answer this question that, we, that we've already asked. When you doubt, and I, I would be more concerned if you never do doubt. When you doubt, is it primarily self-doubt or is it primarily God-doubt? All right, the difference in the two. Self-doubt, I'm not good enough for God. I will never be able to go forward because of X, Y, and Z. That's self-doubt. God-doubt is God can't or will not do this. Or maybe even God does not exist. We take it that far sometimes. Okay, this, the answer to this is important because the outcome is different, and it's actually related to two different promises that you need to understand. So if you struggle with self-doubt, I would direct you toward this promise that God makes for the ones who struggle with this. The Apostle Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 12, 9. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. No, maybe you need the comfort of other people. No. Maybe ultimately you need exercise, a good diet, all these things that are very important. But from a spiritual perspective, the grace of God is the only thing that you need. Had a horrible past? His grace is all you need. Struggle with negative emotions? His grace is all you need. Feeling unworthy right now? His grace is all you need. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. All right, Not my power works best whenever you feel the strongest. But when you're in these dark moments of doubt, when you're struggling and you feel as if there is nowhere else to turn, you're in the best possible place that you can be. Because your heart is the closest to desperation. Your heart is the closest to surrender. Your heart is closest to the place in which God sees this is a moldable creature that I can use for good. Take that self-doubt, embrace it, and allow God to work through it. So now, now I'm glad to boast about my weakness. I can be proud or happy about my weakness so that the power of Christ may work through me. Be suspicious of arrogant pastors or preachers that always need the microphone. Be suspicious of people who have the perfect life or appear to have the perfect life and have everything together. Look for the broken, humble servant 
that recognizes there are real problems in his life or her, pro- her life so that the power of God can work in the midst of their weakness. So you must understand that your weakness, if it's self-doubt, is producing a greater abundance of God's love and grace through you. If your struggle is actually doubting God, things become increasingly difficult. And the reason they become increasingly difficult is because you're always comparing this biblical God to a cultural version of God. So if you're doubting God this morning that God can take care of you, that God wants to provide for you, that the best is yet to come in your life, as Scripture tells us, if you're having struggles with God, here's a few starters for you. Joshua 1.9, he says this to Joshua. This is my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged. But why? How in the world do I do that? Here's the promise. For your God is with you wherever you go. Regardless of where you are, what you're struggling with, the heated moments of your doubt, God is there. Proverbs 3, 6, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 are very common. Proverbs 3, 6 6, 6 says this, Seek His will in all that you do, and He will show you which path to take. Seek His will. What's the promise? He is going to lead you on the path that you take. Philippians 1, 6 is another And I am certain that God, who began the good work within you, listen, he's not finished with you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. Not on the day that you turn 65. Not on the day that you make a really bad decision. Not on the day that you get really upset with someone at church. Not on the day that you were alone and you relapsed. You made a mistake, but he's not finished with you. Three promises to collect here for the doubter. And we get this from these three passages. God is always with you. God will lead you. God will protect you until the end. What more do you need? I mean, I I can't fathom Anything else that I could possibly need in my life, he's always with me, and I mess up a lot. He's leading me. I'm praying from Proverbs 3, 6, direct my paths, lead me. I have the ability to say and do some really stupid things. Let me know. Did you know he led me to Believer's Church? Did you know he led me back to Elizabethan and Johnson City? Ten- I, didn't, I didn't lead myself here. The only place I think I've ever could, could potentially lead myself is a drunk tank, if you don't know the truth. He led me here. It wasn't even a decision that I made. And then how can I worry or how can I doubt if I'm clinging to a promise that he is going to protect me until the end? Every single bit of it is there. So the circumstantial doubts that we have, and you have them just like I do. God, why is this not working out the way that it's supposed to? Well, that's your way, not God's way. The emotional doubt that we have, we feel wonderful when we're in church praising God, the presence of God is here. 
Other times when we're, when we're in our house praying by ourselves, it feels like we've not felt the presence of God in weeks, maybe months. For some of you, maybe even years. It doesn't change anything about the sovereignty and the reality of God. It doesn't change anything. The intellectual doubts, the arguments we can make, we can make the exact same arguments, strong arguments for the resurrection of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit in the lives of people in this room right now. Where are you today? And what are the promises that you must cling to in order for your cup to be full? I'd like to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes this, this morning. And, and what I'd like to do Fear is a powerful thing. Right? So it's, it's a powerful thing. And, and, and for some of you, you live in fear. Some, some husbands are always telling their wives, you, you don't have to worry so much. You don't have to live in fear. It is a liar. These doubts that you struggle with, when you learn to embrace them, when you learn to go to God with the questions, everything changes. You may not feel it. In the moment, your circumstances may not change. But what I'm going to do this morning is I'm going to take just, just a minute or two of silence. And I'm going to allow you to pray and open your heart up to God about the current fears and doubts. Because some of you are you're saying, God can't take care of my marriage. It's history. People in the church don't know this, but God can't take care of my marriage. God can't take care of my financial situation. I am, I am busting my butt every single day. And it feels that God is not there. Some of you are saying, I feel like I'm never going to get married. Some of you are saying, I can't trust in the way that Matt's talking about. That's the self-doubt, not the God-doubt. Whatever your feelings may look like this morning, if there is something that you are going through, I want to give you just a minute or two to pray. Holy Spirit, we come to you this morning broken by the reality of our own pain and of our own mistakes, of self-doubt that could go as far back as childhood or that is new because of the way that we've been treated. Father, the doubt we have in your abilities, in your power, the authority that you can exercise over our lives, God, we, we don't want to be carbon copies of our parents or of other people. We want to be rooted deep in a faith that changes our hearts and changes what our church 
looks like. God, for those that are hurting this morning, I pray the power of the Holy Spirit over their lives. Father, that you work within them. Father, that you help them to, doubt, uh, to, to drop the shame and the guilt over some of the doubts that they feel. And Father, to have the courage and the confidence to bring those to you. Father, this series will be a time of healing and mended hearts, but only because of your presence and your work that is present in this place right now. We lift you up and we praise you as we leave and continue to worship in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.